Hi, everyone. This is Lamar Stanley, your host of the MA Source Podcast. A quick note about today's episode. This episode was actually recorded late in 2019, slightly before the COVID-19 pandemic began here in the United States. So there's reference to the conference where this recording took place and obviously no reference to the COVID outbreak or economic downturn created by the shutdown. However, the information is still very valuable and a great indicator of the useful information and courses taught at M&A Sources biannual conferences. Hopefully that we can get back online in person soon. With that said, enjoy the episode. Welcome to the M&A Source Podcast, a podcast brought to you by M&A Source, a nonprofit professional organization that provides training and education for small to mid-sized business mergers and acquisitions intermediaries. In each episode of the podcast, we will interview leaders in the M&A world to discuss education opportunities provided by M&A Source, trends in M&A markets, and useful insights provided by the experts that use them. Thank you for joining us. Hello, and welcome to this edition of the M&A Source podcast, sponsored by M&A Source, the source of opportunity and professional growth for mergers and acquisitions, intermediaries, and strategic professionals in the lower middle market. I am your host, Lamar Stanley, Head of Business Development and Originations with GenCap America, a lower middle market private equity firm based in Nashville, Tennessee. And joining me today is John Howe, who is the Director of Business Transition Strategies, an M&A advisory firm with offices in New Hampshire and Massachusetts. He holds the Mergers and Acquisitions Master Intermediary Certification and is also the co-owner of New Hampshire Business Sales, a Main Street business brokerage firm. In a previous professional life, he was in the daily newspaper business for more than 30 years, but more recently, he was actually our most recent chair of M&A Source. So a breadth of experience up and down the market from Main Street to the middle, and also someone who has been a great friend and volunteer to M&A Source for many years, and so a great candidate to teach our course, number 485, entitled Building a Sustainable M&A Practice, which he did this week at M&A Source's conference here in San Antonio. John, thank you for joining us. Glad to be here. All right, before we dive into how advisors can establish and grow and sustain an M&A practice, I first wanted to ask you to give a little background on yourself and your history in the business. Sure. I was in the newspaper business for over 30 years, and uh, the newspaper business was winding down and still is winding down, at least the print side of things. But without the print, it's hard for the uh, industry to sustain itself. In any event, I grew tired of the continual budget cutting and so forth and left the industry in, in the wonderful time of 2009 and started a new career. I was considering what I would like for the second chapter of my life and decided to get into M&A because I had been a candidate to acquire the newspaper company back in the 80s, had been unsuccessful, and then things came full circle <laughs> and came came to a price that I actually could afford. <laughs> <laughs> but I decided I just didn't have the passion at that point. So that was when I decided it was time to change careers. Okay. And business transition strategies, can you tell me a little bit about the firm? Yes, we have four advisors. Uh, We're primarily a sell side, but we also have a buy side practice. And we work in uh, the New England states, primarily New Hampshire and Massachusetts. And we have done deals in New York State as well. Well, great. Well, with that, as I mentioned, I wanted to bring you on to talk about your course that you're teaching to M&A Sources members here at the conference, course number 485 on building a sustainable M&A practice. Can you tell us a little bit about the course and who it's intended for? 
the course is about setting up and growing a practice, but more importantly, how to make it sustainable. It's one thing to start. It's another thing to sustain it. And the sustainability means different things to different people. So the course was designed to cross all of the business types, all of the model types that are within the membership of M&A Source, from sole proprietors up to uh, multi-person offices. And we did that by studying certain case studies of practices, all of which were members or are members of the M&A Source, and exploring their practice. And then we dove into what are some of the common elements that make a practice sustainable. What are some of the attributes that make a practice sustainable, in your opinion? Well, bear in mind, it was a four-hour class, so I'll just give you uh, (laughs) a couple of high points. Number one, you've got to have revenue generation. It goes without saying that you've got to have lifeblood, and revenue is your lifeblood. So you need to get started somewhere. And we explored some of the things that you can do in between transaction success fees to keep the business going. And you need revenue in order to have the kind of tools that you need in order to do M&A. It is not inexpensive. You have to have research tools. You have to have access to databases. So there's an investment there by the company or by the sole proprietor. So you need revenue, number one. You need to have organization and support for how you're going to go about doing what you're choosing to do. As I mentioned, we're both a sell side and a buy side. There are some overlaps and things that are needed. Both sides need to have the same type of research tools, and they both need support. So there's some common elements there. But, you know, not everybody can handle a buy side and a sell side. So you, you kind of have to pick and choose. Another thing is is you have to have a repeatable process because when people come to you, they want to know what you're going to do, how you're going to go about serving them, what is your unique value proposition. For the most part, an M&A firm is going to market without a price, developing a market for that business, developing a funnel for proposals, and trying to get the best value for our client, whether that's the buy side or the sell side. And that also means we have to develop strong relationships with buyer groups, which increasingly are private equity firms directly or companies that are already owned by private equity groups or investor groups. It needs to have a repeatable process. And the final key point is you need to have a focus and strategy as it may not make sense to have both a buy side and a sell side practice within our office, but our focus is on companies within the lower mid-market. And so there's the glue that ties everything together. On the buy side, we help small companies in the lower mid-market find targets and acquire other companies to grow through acquisition. And on the sell side, we represent lower mid-market companies that are interested in selling, and we try to find buyers. So there's some commonality there. And that's just us but there are multiple models out there that are being used. And that's where we got into some case studies. Do you go into the licensing in the course? Like, What does it take legally to practice? In licensing, we avoided that issue. There are licensing issues that you should be aware of. Everybody should be aware of the licensing issues, but that becomes a personal decision as to whether they are going to be licensed or not. Now, if you're getting into a stock transaction, there really isn't a whole lot of gray area there. However, there is the no action letter that is available for those who are not licensed. We are. 
I am. I carry licensing. And can you talk to, with bigger offices, the one, the pros and cons of those models, and then two, your feelings about having everyone under one roof and the goods and bads of having people at other locations? Well, so you mentioned before that I have a co-ownership of a business brokerage. So in total, we have nine people in our office, and it's a distributed workforce. And that is becoming more and more common because uh, a lot of the practices are dealing in multiple states, and it's impractical to pull people under one roof. However, we have some models, and we had a case study specifically on this, that where everyone works out of the same office. And we do have an office. We actually have two offices, which we use. The primary one is in New Hampshire. And people do bring clients in for meetings. But there's the owners and the support staff that work out of that office. The Massachusetts office is primarily used for meetings. All right. And then for a high-functioning, sustainable practice, what key service tools do you recommend that they have at their disposal or use regularly? Well, you've got to have research tools, and those run the gamut anywhere from IBIS World to First Research to Dun & Bradstreet, private equity information, which is available to members of M&A Source. It's a terrific member value, can be used in various aspects of a project, everything from understanding who might be a prospect for the company to Uh, private equity groups that are interested in a particular sector. So we use that very heavily, private equity information. We use IBIS, for example. IBIS is a good tool when you're trying to become more knowledgeable of a sector and you can do a research project for background information by NAICS codes and SIC codes and so forth. And is there a certain threshold of size of your office when some of those make sense or don't? I would have to say no. Main Street does not really apply in this case, but for any M&A project, all of those apply. And there are others as well. I'm just highlighting a few of them. Sure. And 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 they cost money. Sure, (laughs) sure. For the most part. Those are outflows. And since you mentioned Main Street, do you recommend if someone aspires to become an M&A advisor or Main Street transactions the path? Or what is the most logical professional growth path to becoming a a successful M&A advisor? Well, I'd like to say that there's a single path that makes the most sense. But if you look at the teams, they come from a diversity of backgrounds. We have people who are coming out of corporate America who want to apply their business development experience. And logic is to get into a M&A track. They don't need to go through the business brokerage side of things to become successful as an M&A advisor because they already know the other side of the equation, that being primarily the buy side. But business brokerage can be an excellent path to work your way into M&A. There are people who have gone through doing numerous Main Street deals who begin looking at making the transition to handling larger deals or M&A deals and come to the conclusion that that's just not for them because it takes too long to get a deal done. Whereas with a Main Street deal, they might be able to have more certainty and they can deal with more things at one time. So it's not for everybody. But if you become successful as a Main Street broker and you, you develop the sophistication to understand a strategic sale, and developing a market, it could be a good path for you. 
And on the softer side, do you talk about culture in the course? Actually, that's very important if you're trying to attract a younger demographic. And it's a good thing. People now are looking for working in a business where they share the values. And one of the things we talked about in the sustainability class was that you can have a drive for money, for having a success fee. But at the end of the day, that's not going to make you feel good about your work. So we encourage people in the conclusion, in the final chapter, to look at what they're doing and see if it ties to their core value. In fact, one of the case studies specifically mentioned that you must develop a practice that ties to your core values. And if your core value is just money, it's a hollow existence. So we encourage people to think about the bigger purpose of what we do. Our purpose is to transition a business. That is an exceptional opportunity. Not very many people get that opportunity to deal with a company that has perhaps been founder-led for 30 years and then find a new life for that. It is a awesome responsibility and it's a terrific opportunity. That is a great point. You know, I, I think I speak for the majority of the M&A source membership base when I say people here are not necessarily money-driven. I mean, the community is a lot of what draws people here, and there's certainly a lot of professional benefit to that. Do you integrate the experiences of the people taking the course into the course? I mean, do you get to hear back and people swap notes? Because I know this sustainability issue is a concern for all of us, frankly, on the private equity side or in the M&A advisor side. Everyone wants to be more resilient and be able to sustain their practice in the long term. How do you swap notes in the course? Well, that's a good question. And this is the second time we've taught this course. And I have a, a co-instructor, Tanya Gilworth from Los Angeles. And uh, that was challenging, by the way, working on opposite ends of the country, <laughs> pulling the course together. And she, she researched four case studies in the Los Angeles area of other professions, which gave us some insights on how they're dealing with maintaining sustainability and then succession and transition. And I dealt with four M&A source members to find case study experiences that would offer some insights. This was the second time we've taught the course. And I asked in email to everyone who had taken the course to give us some feedback. You know, is there anything that you changed? Maybe some adjustments you made. And I got numerous input back. And one member flew up from Florida to fill me in on the second business that they had started as a result of taking the course. And it was a, a second uh, line of business under a different brand, which gives them specifically oriented towards valuation. And so they've set up a separate brand outside of the transaction business so that they can now develop connections with other centers of influence and provide a different value. And the goal is to develop that brand so that it the ownership can be transitioned down the line but others in the class did you know more simple things like documenting the processes that they're already using it's a it's a little thing but if you don't write it down it's hard to repeat it if you're trying to um, remember on the fly what our process will be when we get into diligence it's it's hard to repeat so people have begun formalizing their processes. So maybe that's the kind of thing you're, you're asking about. People share this information, and we shared this in the class. And there were people in the class that were explaining how they're setting up their offices, what they're doing to generate revenue. 
these are people who are in some ways competing with each other, but they're willing to share to help other people be successful. That's an exceptional opportunity. Yeah, that truly is the most remarkable part of every conference that I come to. On that same note, when talking to the people attending the course, is there anything that's a common thread or what are people generally most concerned about from a sustainability perspective? Okay, that's a very interesting question too. We uh, did some research by, what we did is we surveyed membership and we also talked with PEI, private equity information, and looking at investment banks. And so the perception was that investment banks are big powerful institutions. They are. There are some very big ones, but they're not really in our space. So the surprising thing from the two surveys, looking at PEI for all investment banks and the M&A source at M&A advisory firms, is that the sizes were surprisingly small. A median of four advisors in an investment bank and three in an M&A office of our membership. I was really surprised at the small size but that means that suggests to me that we have a lot of people doing playing multiple roles in those groups. That's not to say there aren't bigger offices on investment banks or in M and A offices. It just means that's the median. And so, you know, as we wrap up this interview, do you have any advice to M and A advisor out there who may be looking at his or her own firm to decide how sustainable it is? Was there a punchline or, or something that they really need to? come to grips with? I think that the key thing is to be true to what you are. Now, if you are someone who is extremely knowledgeable in a particular sector, I'll pick one. Let's say you're, you are a master at software. You might not want to venture into a doing deals in, say, manufacturing because it's a different skill set. So you might choose to specialize in software, and therefore you build your team and your resources around that, and you become an expert in who's the buyer in that sector. You can bring tremendous value to software owners in that case. On the other hand, you may be someone like me <laughs> who comes out of the newspaper business, and I'm probably not going to do very many newspaper deals. I am agnostic, and there are a lot more people who are agnostic. They're generalists. They will deal with manufacturing, distribution, and other types of business. And so you have to be true to what you are. I would say if you're agnostic, you probably are very curious. You're eager to learn about what makes these businesses sing, and you understand how you're going to go about, with your established process, getting them sold. So you do have to figure out what it is you want to be. Do you want to be a specialist? Do you want to be a generalist? Do you want to have a very narrow focus? Do you want to have a broader focus? The key thing with the course is if you have a narrow focus, you really need to have good connections with that one focus in order to be sustainable. If you have a broader focus, you have a lot more opportunity, but you may have a lot more work to do to be knowledgeable when you come to deal with a particular company. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And well, I don't want to spoil the content of the course and go much deeper, but I do feel like you've given us a good flavor of the things that are covered in the 485 course. On that, I want to say thank you, John, for coming in today. I uh, really enjoyed the chat. Thank you, sir. So if you'd like to learn more about establishing, growing, and sustaining your M&A practice or learn more about any other M&A-related topics provided by M&A Source, please visit M&A Source's website, masource.org, and please feel free to reach out to the staff listed there. And I would also highly recommend any M&A professional to join M&A Source and also to attend our semi-annual conference events. 
where courses like the one we discussed today will be taught. Thank you for supporting the show. And to find more episodes like this one, please visit masource.org. I am your host, Lamar Stanley, and I look forward to chatting with you again on the next episode of the MA Source Podcast. Thank you for joining us for the MA Source Podcast. If you would like to learn more about MA Source or would like to join, please visit MA Source's website, www.masource.org, where you can find a wealth of information to include information about MA Source's biannual conferences. Thanks again for joining, and if you enjoyed the show, we hope that you'll go to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Join us next time for another edition of the MA Source Podcast. <laughs>